This is Window on the East, a podcast from BNE Intellinews. Subscribe at bne.eu. Welcome to Window on the East. I'm Liam Halligan, editor-at-large of BNE Intellinews. In this edition, we discuss the reaction to Brexit across our region. I talk with Deputy Editor Nick Watson, who's based in Prague, about how the UK's momentous decision to leave the EU has gone down across the Visegrad countries, Poland, Hungary, Czech Republic and Slovakia. I also catch up with Katerina Kruk, the Ukrainian analyst and activist who became known to the world as the spokesperson of the Maidan protesters during 2013 and 14, who joins us from Kiev. I started by asking Katerina how she felt on the morning of 24th of June when she heard the UK population had voted to leave. Seeing that Great Britain decided to leave the, um, the European Union was, was a shock, really. A lot of people were talking about it, but everyone hoped that it's not going to happen. And here in Ukraine, obviously, the European Union, through the prism of how it's going to um, affect our chances to become members of the European Union. And obviously, the very first, the very first reaction is that it's not going to bring uh, things to, to our prospects of membership. And secondly, is that European Union is going to be weakened by the internal processes, by the deepening crisis, which was taking place already for several years, but now definitely going to be catalyzed by, by the Brexit. And uh, the very fact that Britain is very strong on supporting Ukraine uh, to the Minsk process and generally fighting Russian propaganda and disinformation in Europe. So this is our strong strategic partner. And obviously Britain leaving the, the European Union going to affect the European Union itself. The, the way European Union going to see Ukraine and, uh, and the larger neighborhoods in a way. And then obviously Ukraine's chances to, to become a member of European Union uh, in any time perspective. Were you more disappointed then by this Brexit vote on behalf of the UK than when Dutch voters rejected uh, Ukraine's EU association agreement? I think it was back in April. Yes, yes, it was back in April. And, uh, well, to be honest, maybe because of the fact that most of us, I mean, in Ukraine, we knew that the Dutch referendum is basically about a different thing. So even the, the organizers of the referendum, so the, the Dutch Nationalist Party, um, a few days before the referendum itself, they, they, they may, I mean, the leader of the, of the party made a statement that it's not about Ukraine, we use it as a pretext, and it's more about saying no to Europe. And uh, in most of the cases, Ukrainians were prepared that it's going to be no vote. So, um, in a way, it was very unpleasant, but it wasn't that much shocking as with the Brexit. When it comes to the Brexit, it is much more worrying and shocking because it's not only affecting Ukraine as such and the, and the way that um, the relations between European Union and Ukraine will build in, a, in any time perspective because when it comes to Dutch referendum it was the subject of uh, the subject of this referendum was the very concrete association agreement which is the subject of discussion between the European Commission first of all and European Union as such so in a way we had um, we had a certainty that European Commission gonna back us and it's in the interest of the European Union as a whole to make this association agreement work so even if the if, even if we have the no vote there is a chance to make this association agreement and DCFTA work. When it comes to the Brexit, um, the repercussion is going to be much larger because it's expecting the European Union as such, the very core of the union, 
and how it's going to work in the nearest future. The citizens of the Great Britain, obviously also the citizens back then of the European Union, they show that they're very much dissatisfied with the European Union and how it is functioning. They are so much dissatisfied that they aren't ready or they aren't committed to reform it while staying in. They want to go out to leave the, the European Union. And that is why for the person which is pro-European, uh, which is who is Euro-optimist as I am and many of my friends in Ukraine here, uh, for us, it is a great shock, and we think that the repercussions of Brexit is much more, are much more severe than one of the Dutch referendum. You were obviously famously involved with the uh, protests in 2013 and onward. Yes. How, how do you think uh, the EU has acted since then to bring Ukraine into the fold? Do you think the pace has been fast enough, or have you been a little bit disappointed? Well, I have to be honest that... The certain level of disappointment was already very, very easy to see and to grasp also while people were still on Maidan, so more or less the January January and, and February of 2014, um, because of the reaction of the European Union, because back then for people who were standing on Maidan and who were standing against the regime, uh, we understood very well that we have no one to rely on in Ukraine except of ourselves, and our the only one clear and very strong partner was the European Union. And it was already the moment when there were already kidnappings of protesters, when we knew that some people were beaten and tortured very strongly. Uh, January is also the time of when the first protesters were shot by police, uh, by, by riot police, I mean. And uh, the, only, the only reaction we got from the European Union was we're deeply concerned. And it was a bit disappointing because when you are facing bullets, when you stand for something you believe in, words aren't that strong enough to protect you from their physical violence. But obviously, this is a revolutionary moment. Uh, when everything became more or less calm, obviously, when it comes to situation in Kyiv, because in, in Ukraine, as such, the situation became tragic after annexation of Crimea and then war in Donbass. But when it comes to the level of the official powers, he, authorities here in Kyiv, uh, after that, we had really a chance to build a strategic view of how Ukraine is going to move closer to the European Union. And from, for the very first time in Ukrainian history, from Ukrainian side, there was a total understanding of the importance of this process. And there was total backup of all uh, key players on Ukrainian political scene that this is the only way we have right now where to develop and where to move forward. That is why I think that there could be a bigger progress and uh, the more understanding from the European Union, but I do understand very well why it didn't happen, why we could do much more when it comes to European integration and we've done a bit less. Uh, this is the question which has to be answered first of all in Brussels and also in European capitals. As long as European Union doesn't know what it's going to do with Ukraine in a long-term perspective or in a short-term perspective, as long as we don't get a clear yes or no to our dreams of membership in the European Union, there will always be some postponement and there will always be some lost chances in our relations and building a successful relationship between European Union and Ukraine. And finally, Katerina, do you really think that Russia's happy with Brexit? Do you think that was a genuine aim for Moscow, that they wanted to see Brexit? I do believe yes. When it comes to the European region, European continent, the core interest of Russia is to be a superpower here. And obviously, as long as European Union exists and as long as European Union uh, acts as a strong, soft power, which attracts 
countries from the neighborhood, like Georgia, like Ukraine, like Armenia to a certain point, also Moldova, uh, as well as Balkan countries, when they choose European path uh, as a path of their strategical development, when they choose European Union over Russia, obviously this is their geostrategic geopolitical loss for Russia. So um, in many ways, when we're saying that Russia has attacked Ukraine as attacking country, country which is uh, standing for European values, in many instances we have to understand that at some point probably Ukraine is just a tool of destabilizing Europe as a whole. Because obviously we have to pay the biggest price, but I always believe that the key interest of Putin is to see the European Union being in a deep crisis. In a way, uh, Brexit is a, is a perfect present for Vladimir Putin because he has invested, first of all, billions of euros in disinformation programs and campaigns all around all around Europe, attacking not just uh, the war in Ukraine, but attacking, first of all, uh, European Union, the idea of European Union, uh, raising Euroscepticism, supporting nationalist parties all around, uh, all across Europe, which shows that in many ways he is attacking the European Union as such from the inside. And that is why Brexit is a perfect scenario for him. And uh, the thing that many, many countries in European Union have to restrain from and to have to be very afraid of and aware of is that we can't lead to any further referendums uh, exit or staying in referendums in other member states of European Union. Which brings me on nicely to, to Nick Watson. Nick, how's this been taken among the Visegrad countries? Uh, many of those uh, would also see... Uh, like the Ukrainians would see the UK as a natural ally within the European Union? Oh, certainly, Liam. It's been taken very badly in this part of the world. These countries were, were, were patrons of, uh, of, of the UK. As um, one Czech Eurocrat put it, um, without the UK there, they can't hide behind the Brits anymore. They were very much similar kind of thinking in that rather than deepening the EU, they wanted to expand the EU. They want to, to enlarge it, to take in countries like Ukraine. But now, of course, uh, without Britain there, they're, they're really on the front line. The Brexit has really opened up a, a, a real fissure in, in Europe between the Federalists and those who want to put a break on um, uh, further integration. And, of course, that's you know, personified by the two people, such as the head of the European Council, Donald Tusk, a Pole, and uh, Jean-Claude Juncker, who's uh, the head of the European Commission. Now, let's call them the Visegrad Four countries. Um, what they most fear is that they're going to have to make a decision about whether they want to become part of this new European core or whether they're going to stand apart from it, be part of the second-tier Europe. Now, if they're part of this periphery, they're part of the second-tier Europe, that opens them up, certainly in Poland's case, to fears of being dominated by Russia. And so they're going to have to make some real decisions here, whether they're going to try to be part of this inner core or the periphery. And that might entail very difficult decisions about joining the euro. Because let's face it, the inner core are all going to be members of the euro. The outer core are not members of the euro. So they might have to push ahead with joining the euro which is in, in itself, while many of the populations here are very, uh, very pro-Europe, very pro-EU, the euro is not very popular at all. Right. So they might be rushed into making a decision about joining euro, something they have to join according to their Aki's communicare, but they don't want to do it. They want to keep pushing it off into the distance. This might force them to make a decision sooner rather than later 
and it might force them to make a decision that they don't really want to make. Of course, Nick, we're a bit older than Katrina. Sure. We're long enough in the tooth to remember that it, it was, in fact, the UK that really initiated bringing in the East mm. European, Central and East European countries Indeed. into the European Union, precisely to try and slow down integration. <laughs> exactly. Ironically enough. Ironically enough. Poland, of course, is the biggest economy of, of the Visegrad Four. Many of our listeners will know that in recent months, uh, law and justice, the newish government, have been making Eurosceptic noises. But you're saying within the population, the Polish population, there was still a lot of disappointment about uh, the Brexit. This is what's really strange, Liam. You, you seem to have a dichotomy here between you have two of the most Eurosceptic governments in the whole of the EU, in power, in Hungary and Poland. And yet, according to Pew Research, a recent study they did, they have two of the most uh, EU, pro-EU populations. It's a really, it's very, it's very strange. And where that actually leaves how they're going to deal with this Brexit, I don't know if the population have really made up their mind about the EU. I think they, they liked what they had. They liked having Britain there. They liked having a strong partner, yeah. you know, kind of pushing rather like, you know, the, the boys in the playground and they push the biggest one forward and say, go on, you sort it out. You know, <laughs> we're right behind you. And, um, and now they've lost that. And that has really opened them up to some very, very difficult decisions to make. And some real bruising arguments are going to put them on the front line here. And I don't know how it's going to play with the populations themselves. I mean, for example, um, we just heard that um, Viktor Orban in Hungary is um, pushing um, an anti-immigrant uh, referendum for October the 2nd. It's going to be held October the 2nd. Now, he, he kind of mooted this um, way back in February, and it's going to be a referendum on the EU migrant quotas. There's no question who's going to win that referendum. And that's, of course, why he's called it, um, unlike David Cameron, who got it completely wrong. So Hungary is going to end up voting against accepting it, the any, share of EU migrants uh, that absolutely. it's meant to absorb under its new membership. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. And he's using, he's using this purely to gain leverage in the discussions with Brussels. So while the population of Hungary, I think it was second in terms of being pro-EU, the population was something like 63% or something, I think, were in favor of it. Poland, 71%. I mean, they were by far, in a way, the most pro-EU countries. But when it comes to something like migrants and this um, quota system, they are dead against it. So it really, it makes it very difficult to see where this is going. When you look at the UK now, you have a lot of polls here, a lot of people from Czech here. That's likely to continue while immigration could be controlled under a Brexit. It's certainly not going to end. Do you think the closeness between uh, the Visegrad countries and the UK will continue? Do you think that they can actually follow the UK if the UK makes a success of itself outside of the EU, maybe joining the European uh, Economic area or EFTA? Do you think this dichotomy you've talked about in the Visegrad countries, wanting to be part of Western Europe, but not necessarily liking everything about the EU, could they follow uh, Britain's example? Just, just to put a figure on that, there's one point, about 1.2 million people from the Visegrad four who live in the UK alone. 1.2 million. I think the difference between um, these countries and Britain is that they are net recipients very, very large recipients. The UK was a net contributor to the EU. That's different. 
So different for these V4. They receive a lot of money from the EU. You know, as you, as you know, Liam, you know, money talks. So you think that in the end, the Visegrad countries will huff and puff. We'll see a referendum in Hungary on a specific issue rather than membership. You think they'll end up staying in? Yes, I do. I do. For the foreseeable future. As, as I said, it's very difficult to make any predictions because if the, if the Junkers of the EU win in this, um, in this fight that's going on within, within the EU, then they start pushing towards much, much tighter um, integration. You could see, you know, maybe Hungary not, not joining that. Um, Poland is such a huge net recipient. I think it would like to be very much part of this inner core because it worries very much about um, the eastern border with Russia. Uh, the Czechs, they're probably more like Hungary rather than Poland. And Slovakia is already a member of the euro. So it's already got a, a, a seat at the top table. So you might find some divergence between the V4 in the years ahead. Nick Watson in Prague and, of course, Katrina Kruk in uh, Kiev. Thank you very much.